Thanks again for listening to the Anchor Church Podcast. If you enjoyed it, make sure you subscribe so you can keep up on our weekly sermons. If you're in the Zanesville area, we invite you to join us on Sundays. You can find all the details on our website at theanchor.church. Again, thanks so much for listening, and we hope to see you soon. Well, I'm glad you're back here. We've been talking about the love languages, the five love languages. So just like any class that you take, in school or whatever, we got to start out with a little bit of review. So five love languages. We've learned about them. Every week we've been talking about different ones. Words of affirmation. Remember words of affirmation. It's when we're affirming our loved one, our spouse. We're complimenting them. Um, we're, giving them we're giving them words of affirmation, making them feel better about themselves about something we say. Uh, quality time. We talked about quality time. Some of you said that was your love language. You love that quality time where you're not interrupted with your cell phone, with your kids, with whatever busyness. You're just talking about each other and you're having good quality time. We also, we've talked about receiving gifts. A lot of you said you like that. That's your love language, receiving the gifts and um, just letting them know. We talked about how you can buy that special someone a gift or you can make it. It doesn't have to cost money. It's just to let them know you're thinking about them. Acts of service. A lot of you like that one as well. You know, it just they like to know that you are getting your stuff done. And just everyday chores. We've talked about physical touch. Um, a lot of people need that physical touch to feel loved. So these are the five love languages we've talked about. And at this point, you probably feel like you know what your love language is or you should be pretty close to figuring it out and what your spouse's love language is. And so also we've talked about how depending on what your love language is, there's different dialects of that language, just like how we speak English, but some of us are more Southern in our dialect, some are more Northern, eh? You'll hear Brother Woodward this weekend. <laughs> Definitely more Northern with his dialect. Same language, different dialect. And um, so it's important to learn these things because we can be speaking their language in a different dialect and they might still be confused. A lot of you um, would say you've got more than one love language. We've talked about that, that we need to be able to speak every love language a little bit because even if it's not your primary love language you need to be able to speak it and you need to be able to understand it and we all like each of those love languages even if it's not our primary love language we like to hear compliments have quality time receive gifts acts of service physical touch we all need some of those to some extent if, if um, the author of this this series suggests if you feel like you've got more than one one love language and I think a lot of people do you still need to discover what your number one love language is. So even if you've got more than one, you've got to discover your number one. Everyone has one that's primary. And so if you say, I can't figure, you know, there's two that are just about equal. I'm going to give you a couple questions to ask, a few questions to ask yourself to help you to narrow it down to the primary love language for you or your spouse. One question is, what makes you feel the most loved by your spouse? If you're taking notes, you can write that down. What makes you feel the most loved by yourself, your spouse? Um, you desire this one, maybe this thing above all else. If you're not sure, uh, maybe reflect on something your spouse does for you or doesn't do for you or something they say to you or don't say to you. And you might be able to come up with that one. Another question is, what have you most often requested of your spouse? 
Have you requested, honey, I really want more time with you alone, more quality time? Or, honey, I really wish you would help me more around the house. Or, I really wish you would hold my hand more. I really wish we would, uh, you would give me more compliments. What's something that you really um, request of your spouse the most often? And the third question you can ask to discover your top love language is, in what way do you regularly express love to your spouse? What way do you regularly? Because what we've learned over the last few weeks is the way that you show love language to them is often because that's your love language. So um, th those are the questions you want to ask. Most of us, uh, I'm, not, I'm trying to look. I don't think we have any of the engaged ones in here tonight, do we? Um, maybe. Oh, yeah, we've got. Oh, are they? There's, oh, yes, Ashley's over there, too. Okay, so we're going to be talking a little bit about some of, something that we've all experienced, and you're really experiencing it right now. Uh, most of us enter into marriage, to that relationship, um, in the way of being in love, that kind of euphoria, that in love feeling, you know. You, you meet someone who probably first passes whatever your first test is for that person, you know, you've got your boxes that you check, right? For some people, it's they have to be a good cook. Some people, it's they've got to be attractive, which we all, you know, something, everybody would say a different thing for what's attractive. Maybe it's their smile was the top. I mean, and look at my husband's smile. It's great. <laughs> Obviously, I was in dental hygiene school, so I'm always, uh, he's always smiling. But some people could care less about that. They like, you know, certain color hair, certain color eyes. Some people like a certain personality, louder quieter. Some people wanted someone that, I remember Sister Jamie saying, I loved hearing Kevin sing when we dated. And maybe that's something that you, uh, everybody has something different and that's okay. And we all find different things attractive. That's so awesome that God made us all different. We all look different. We all act different and we all find different things appealing. And so that's, that's great. If it was all the same, that would be rather boring, I'm sure, to God because he's just probably sitting watching us, right? He'd get tired if he was looking at the same person. <laughs> and so anyway, we're all different. So once they have met these, whatever these things are on your list, and, and so then it alerts your love system, right? Okay, they're checking off the boxes, and uh, we're going to set this in motion. We're going to get the process of getting to know them better because whatever the initial things are. Um, then you're on a, a quest, right, to discover love. Could this be somebody? I always tell my children this, and I think it's, it, it should be said. I used to tell the youth group this. You shouldn't even date someone that you know right away you would never marry them. I've heard so many people say, well, we're just going out. I mean, I know I would never marry him, but we're just going out, you know, having fun dating a little while, but I would never marry him. Then what in the world? Why are you dating them? You date because that is somebody that you would, you would eventually marry. It uh, doesn't mean that you know they're the one when you first go, go out with them or you're around them and spending time with them. It means you think that they could be, so then you're going to get to know them better. And so um, I, I don't, you know, I, <laughs> my daughter's going to be turning 16 this summer. <laughs> and for whatever reason, that's like the age that America says you have to be to date. It's not my age. <laughs> in our household, she's going to find out. <laughs> um, <laughs> that's way too young. Who in the world's at that age? I think 23 is a good age. <laughs> but 
Uh, I know that's around the corner, and I know those things, and it's natural. They're going to want to start dating when they're 16, 17, because that's how God created us. You're all your hormones, all these things are going crazy. You start finding these boys attractive, and the girl starts finding the guy, and that's normal, and I'm glad she's normal and she's thinking about those things. That's good. But um, I don't think, I've told her from the start, you know, you don't just go out on a date when you turn 16. I'm not letting my daughter go out on a date in a car with a boy when she's, I'm not that stupid. Um, and I'm thankful that my, my parents weren't that stupid either. And so group, group settings are nice. Family, spending time with their family. Because if they are going to be someone that they think they might be interested in continuing to get to know in a relationship, uh, family is a big thing. <laughs> you do marry the family. <laughs> so family, I've already told them, this will be family. Family dating. We'll all be dating this person. <laughs> and we'll all be getting to know this person. <laughs> And so, um, not really, but somewhat. <laughs> and uh, anyway, you arrange to get together more often. And before long, your level of intensity has increased to the point you find yourself saying, I, I think I'm falling in love. You know, after a while, you think you're falling in love. And then eventually, after you've gone out with them several times, you've had a lot of conversations, family, everything's going great. You say the words that everyone gets to this point. I think they're the one. I think I think they're the one. It's the real. This is the real thing. This is real. This is love. Mom always said I would know. This is it. This is the real thing. And you tell the other person. You think. You hope that feelings you know, reciprocated. You you're hoping they feel that way. And when it is, you start talking about marriage, because everyone agrees that that being in love is the necessary foundation for a good marriage. Right? Would you agree? It's necessary. Um, being in love. I remember when my husband uh, was going, I wasn't there. I heard this story later, and I've heard it several times. When he went to my parents' house to ask my dad for permission to propose to me, which I still think that's very honorable when a guy does that. And he, he was, you know, 23, but he still went to my parents' home. He wanted their blessing. And he says he was talking to my dad, and he was telling him, yeah, these things he liked about me. He said, yeah, I just... I, I really like her a lot. <laughs> My dad said, well, that helps. <laughs> uh, he said he could. He said it seemed so awkward to tell my dad that he loved me. <laughs> he was like, it was so awkward. <laughs> and, uh, but, you know, that's the foundation. you got to love someone. That's where we start. But at your peak of when you're in love, this, this moment, this experience, that's euphoric. We talk about uh, you're actually kind of emotionally obsessed with the other one. You are. You, when you get to that point, you're emotionally obsessed, and it's not a bad thing. It's kind of natural. You, you, when you go to bed at night, you're thinking about it. When it's first thought in the morning when you wake up, you, you're longing to be with that person. Uh, when you hold hands, it feels like, you know, your blood is flowing together. <laughs> and uh, you, you want to kiss them. You want to be embraced. You think of marriage, and you, you begin to think about these intimate moments you're going to have, and that's normal. God created you that way. Well, the person who's in love has this illusion <laughs> that his beloved or her beloved is perfect. You all, they're perfect for me. We're perfect for each other. They're just so perfect, and our dreams before marital bliss we say oh we're going to make uh, each other really happy and other couples might fart like like they might uh, argue they might fight they fuss they don't get along but not us you know if 
If we have, you know, we're intelligent enough. We know that one day we're going to have disagreements. But we'll just talk about them openly. We'll be willing to make concessions. Everything's going to just be fine. We'll agree. When you're in love, um, it's hard to think uh, that it wouldn't be like that ever. And we've been led to believe that if you're really in love, that feeling that you have, it's going to last forever. <laughs> we'll always have that wonderful feeling that you have right at that moment, that moment that you're in love, that's going to last forever. Nothing could ever come between you, right? Wrong. <laughs> Nothing will ever overcome your love for each other, right? Wrong. Um, we're enamored. We're caught up in the beauty and the charm of each other, their, maybe their personality, whatever. And your love's the most wonderful thing you've ever experienced next to the Holy Ghost. You know, this person's just wonderful. They're the best. And some married couples seem to have uh, lost that feeling. Now, look at other couples, and you think, oh, they seem to have lost that. But we will never lose that. This will never happen to us. Um, that couple that they're struggling, you know, they probably, uh, maybe they didn't have, they weren't really in love. Their love wasn't as real as ours. And that's things that we say, you know. We think, oh, that must not have been. Well, maybe think back to when you first fell in love with your spouse. If you're taking notes, if you're writing anything down, think back to when you first fell in love and maybe describe a feeling that you thought or how you acted or something, maybe a feeling that you had. A story I could tell, um, I'll tell one on him. Uh, when we were dating, his brother used to tease him because when we were dating, he went to his brother's house for dinner one night, and he showed up. I mean, we were in love. He showed up with different shoes on, and his brother's like, oh, my goodness. <laughs> he was like, he's got it bad. But you're not thinking right, you know. I remember missing my exit, going totally towards the wrong state when I was driving because I'd been on the phone with Aaron. And you're not, you're just, you're not thinking. You're not thinking clearly. These are things you do when you're having those feelings and you're just, you're just living this dream life and everything's just perfect. Well, whatever feeling that was you wrote down or you thought about, do you still feel that way or do you still act that way? Something you can ask yourself. If not... Um, when did it? When did the change begin to occur? If if you don't still feel that way, and that's okay, because we're going to talk about that. That would make you normal. When did it? When did it begin to change? Was it when maybe the bills started coming in, or you couldn't afford those shoes because he went golfing? <laughs> you didn't have enough extra for both, or maybe you had a baby, and 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 things begin to change. You're acting different towards him now. When, when did these feelings change? When your feelings and beliefs and expectations were naive, maybe unrealistic, um, what feelings, what were they? What feelings did you have that were naive or maybe unrealistic? Did you have anything that was unrealistic or naive when you were in that in love state? Unfortunately, uh, the thought of eternal, the eternal feeling of being in love, um, that experience is not uh, factual. That feeling that you think everything's always going to be great, that's more fiction. And I would say Hollywood has done a lot to uh, taint the real feeling. You know, you watch, I don't encourage, I, you know, I don't encourage watching these love romance films or whatever, 
it's not, that's not reality. And so it really does mess with your mind because you think, man, I want love like that. I want a relationship like that. They're totally enamored with each other, just in love. Everything works out because their love overpowers everything somehow, you know. That old song, I don't remember who sang it. I think Alan Jackson, Living on Love. <laughs> And living on love. It's not true. You know, and Hollywood does a lot of that. It makes you think that, you know, as long as you've got love, everything's going to be fine. Um, a psychologist actually did a study of long range of relationships of the in love phenomenon. And after studying lots of couples, she found out that the actual average of that in love feeling that we were talking about lasts for two years. That's, that's about how long it can last, that romantic obsession. Eventually, though, you all kind of descend from the clouds and get your feet on the ground, and you're on earth again. Our eyes are open. We see the um, shortcomings of the other person, and they see the shortcomings of us. Um, we recognize that his or her personality traits are actually irritating. <laughs> and I'm irritating, too. We're all irritating. Maybe their behavior is annoying even at times. You didn't notice that at first because you were so in love. Um, maybe they have the capacity for hurt or anger or harsh words. Little things you overlooked are now like really big things. And you think, man, how could I have been so, so foolish? Um, you come to reality and there's hairs on the bathroom sink. Or there's like white toothpaste on the mirror. Oh, <laughs> that means someone's brushing their teeth too hard. It's flicking it all up on there. These things are annoying to people, right? Maybe there's uh, socks left on the floor or, um, you know, just arguments on which way uh, you hang your toilet paper. These aren't things you think about when you're in love at first, right? Like, do you have it the right way <laughs> where it's coming over? <laughs> or do you have it the other way where, like, it goes under? I've heard people with cats do it the other way because a cat will... But, I mean, I don't know. I wouldn't have noticed the toilet I mean, I don't know. I would have noticed if he had a cat, though, when we were dating. That would have been not a good thing on my list. Because <laughs> I'm allergic. Don't get offended. I'm allergic. I don't, well, he's allergic, too, so that all worked out. But, um, you know, you have these things that, uh, little things, like in a world where the, your shoes don't walk to the closet, they actually have to be picked up and taken. The drawers don't close on their own, you know. Coats don't like hangers and socks go AWOL during laundry. <laughs> like, I tell my kids we have a sock heaven. How do you do a load of laundry and, like, three socks are missing? I, I, I try to tell my kids just fold them up when you put them in the dirty clothes. That way they stay together and then I'll undo them and then I'll put them back. But they still end up missing. And these are things that are imperfect that we realize they actually might be normal and have those flaws because at first we didn't think they were normal we thought they were perfect but in this world a look can hurt you and a word a word can crush you and that person that you were just this intimate with you can become enemies with and your marriage becomes a battlefield um which stage, okay, there's three main stages your marriage could be at or your relationship could be at right now. Would you say it's the in love, the euphoria stage? And it should be, Ashley. You you're, you're should be there. You should still be thinking he's perfect. Um, the in love, euphoria stage, the battlefield. 
or the real world of marriage. The battlefield would maybe be a little bit into it, you know, and you realize this isn't perfect. You've got to commit your marriage to God and tell God that you trust him to make your marriage a loving partnership that pleases him, you, and your spouse. Um, what happened to that in love experience, though? Did we really have the real thing? You know, you say, "Did well, was that even real? I wasn't even in love. I don't know what I was thinking. That wasn't even real love. Was it real love? Um, have you ever, it makes me think of when a new convert comes to church and they get the Holy Ghost and they, they give their life to God. And it's really neat to watch, but sometimes you'll see them come in and they just dive into everything. They're like, I want to be in the choir. I want to teach Sunday school. I want to run the bus route. I want to, I want to win souls. I want a Bible study every night. I want to go to Monday school, Tuesday school, Wednesday school. It's great. The excitement's great. They want to dive and tell me everything I can do to be closer to God. And while that's sometimes cool, um, the Bible does talk about being babes in Christ. And just like babies, when they're born, we're not giving them all this adult food and steak. They'll choke to death on it. You got to take it baby steps, we say. And so I've heard people make comments when someone will come in and do all this stuff for God, they'll say, and then, and then oftentimes because they shove it down their throat, they didn't have time to properly digest it. And so... They literally, like, throw it all back up, and they backslide. That's really kind of what happens. They don't digest it properly. It's given to them too quickly, and then they backslide. And then I hear people say, well, did they, did, they didn't have the same experience as me. Did they really have a relationship with God? Did they have the same Holy Ghost I had? Well, yeah, they did. But, but maybe um, they were taking too much at a time and they weren't taking those baby steps to grow and I feel like that's like that with our relationships we say was the love real did that was that even real were we really in love you know we said we were in love and now that we're a year into marriage what were we thinking we did did we jump into this too fast were we not thinking clearly were we was it real and it was real I think the problem is faulty information again Hollywood <laughs> the bad information was the idea that your in love obsession would last forever uh, we should have known better. If people remained obsessed, we would all be in serious trouble, really. I mean, the shock waves would rumble uh, through business, industry, churches, education, all of society. Why? Um, because people who are in love, they lose interest in other pursuits. So you ever meet the person? Ever, everyone's had that friend. We all, we've all been this person, and we just didn't know we have. When they get in love, they're like, man, they dropped all their friends Ever since they've been dating so-and-so, they don't pay attention to me anymore. That's all they're worried about. That's all they do. They don't want to go out with the youth anymore. They just want to go out with each other. They don't want to do that. They want to be with each other. That's normal. That's that in love experience. They want to be with that person. But if you were like that all the time and you didn't come back out of the clouds, you would be neglecting a lot of things, a lot of people. Like I said, your churches, your business, your education. So we, you have to come back off that. That's, that's why we call it an obsession when you're like that. But the euphoria of the in love stage, um, it gives you the illusion that you have to have this intimate relationship all the time. And we feel that we belong to each other. And we believe you can, we can conquer all problems. And obsession gives you the false sense that your attitudes have been... Um, eradicated and have become part of this idea that you're willing to give anything for the benefit of the other person. The reason we can do that so freely is that we believe 
they feel the same way towards us. We believe they're committed to meeting our needs, and they love us as much as we love them, and we would never do anything to hurt them, but that's not factual thinking. Not that we're not sincere in what we think or feel, but we're being unrealistic. We're not recognizing the reality of the human nature. And uh, by nature, you know, <laughs> we're all a little bit, just just by nature, we're altruistic, selfish, think of ourselves, right? Um, that's by nature. We have to be. that. You have to think of that, of yourself with that. I mean, that's just, it's, it's how we are. But once the experience of falling in love has run its course, and remember we said the course was about two years, that in love feeling's about two years, you return to reality and uh, you begin to assess things. He's going to express his desires, but his desires are now going to be different than yours. At first when he's like, you know, I don't care where we go eat. Well, I don't care where we go eat. And, oh, yeah, that's where I was going to go. But now he's more comfortable with you and you're off that high. You're, his differences, I mean, they're going to be different. Um, you're going to have, everything's going to be different. He's going to buy a new car, and she's going to say, that's absurd. Maybe he'll want to be more intimate, and she says she's tired, and she wants to visit her parents, and he says, I don't want to spend that much time with your family, and he wants to play softball. She says, you like that more than me, and these are real things that happen in lots of marriages, and so your individual desires and emotions and thoughts and behaviors um, and their patterns, they start to come out of your individuality of who you really are. And now you're two individual people, whereas before you were just, you flow everything, we do everything together, and now you're becoming. And so the, the waves of reality have, have hit, and they begin to separate you. And then you think you fall out of love, and at that point you either withdraw, you separate, you divorce, you set off um, in search of another love experience. Or um, you begin the hard work of learning how to love each other without that euphoria. Now, I would suggest the last one that I said. You need to relearn, learn to relove them again. You can be in love without having that euphoric in love that we talked about. Um, so here's some myths. I mean, obviously, love is, love is perfect. Love is bliss. Love doesn't have morning breath. It doesn't get tired. It's not flawed. It's always charming. It never disagrees. It never gets angry. It always keeps the house clean. Love does not think the other person is annoying ever. It laughs at every joke, even when they're not funny. It's always happy. It's always warm. It's always fuzzy, always tingly. It never goes away. That's what the Bible says. In 1 Corinthians 13, it says love is patient. Love is kind. It doesn't envy, it doesn't boast, it's not proud, it's not rude, it's not self-seeking, it's not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres, and love never fails. That's more realistic. That's, but somehow we get this false, this false information about love, and I'm not sure where all all comes from, but um, we have to be realistic when it comes to love, or we'll believe these lies, and then we'll think, why is our relationship so much worse than theirs? Um, those of us who have fallen in love and out of love will likely agree that the experience, um, it can catapult you into this emotional orbit, and you, you uh, are, it's unlike anything else, and it tends to um, get you away from um, 
your reasoning abilities. <laughs> you often find yourself saying and doing things you would have never done or said in more uh, sober moments. But when you come down from that obsession, you wonder why, um, often wonder why you did those things that you did um, when you were feeling that way. But it's just like a drug. It is the, the scientifically, medically, they've proven. I mean, love is, it's like a chemical releases into your body. It's just kind of like when a drug's released into your body. And you will do things and that you wouldn't normally do if you're not on that in love drug high and again being in love is a great thing I'm just talking about that initial high that you feel like you have and um, does that mean you're destined to a life of misery with your spouse <laughs> or you got to jump ship and try again um, that's what society tells us oh if they don't make you happy find someone else that'll make you happy but an earlier generation would choose the former that means um that we're gonna we're gonna try with them again. Before you automatically conclude that you have uh, made the best choice, we need to look at all this stuff. This here's some here's some data for you. Sixty percent. Um, well, first, if it's your first marriage, uh, you know we hear these high divorce rates, but they're actually clumped together. And if you break them down, forty percent of your first marriages will end in divorce statistically. So. If you've ended in divorce, and statistics say 60% of your second marriage will end in divorce, and 75% of the third marriage end in divorce. So the prospect of a happier marriage the second time or the third time, it's not substantial unless things change in you. Um, things have to change in you, but it's not just going to get better if you go to someone else because maybe you're doing it wrong. Maybe it wasn't just their fault. Um, you got to learn this love language. Research indicates that there's a third and better alternative than any of those, and that you can recognize that in-love experience for what it was. Realize it was a temporary emotional high, and now that you're off that, now you can pursue real love with your spouse. That kind of love's also emotional in nature, but not necessarily obsessive. It's a love that unites reason and emotion, and it involves an act of the will and requires discipline, and it recognizes the need for personal growth. Love is a choice. Love is a choice. I think there's a whole chapter in um, this book that talks about that. Love is a choice, and sometimes you're not going to feel like loving the other person but you need to choose to do so if you've married them because it's a commitment that you made to them and a vow you made to God. And it's a choice. That kind of love requires effort and it requires discipline. It does not require that euphoric feeling of being in love at all times. In fact, true love, I believe true love begins after uh, you, you can certainly have true love before, but a real, a deeper love begins for them after that in love experience kind of has ran its course, and then you can really begin to see things for the way they are, and you still love them, and that's true love. We, we are, we're all flawed human beings. Have you ever noticed, and this is, I think this is a good thought, we judge other people according to what they do. We judge them for it. Man, they, I, I can't believe their kid did that. I can't believe they let their kid do that. I can't believe 
their spouse did that. I can't believe they acted like that. I can't believe. We judge them according to what they do, right? Would you agree? We, we make judgments. But when it comes to ourselves, we judge the situation according to the intention. Well, I know it looks that way, but I know their intention wasn't that. I, I know my child's intention wasn't that because I know my child. So when we're judging ourselves, we're judging by our intention. But when we're judging other people, we're judging by their action. Would you agree? That's not fair. That's not fair at all. But that's what we do. We, we do. We judge that. Even in, in, in loving relationships, you judge them by what they did, but you judge yourself by what you know in your mind you intended to do. That's not the same, and that's not fair. Um, it's not fair at all. And we do that. We do that in, with everything in life. And you need to think about that before you go to make a judgment of somebody else or the situation that they're in when, first of all, you don't know the facts. You don't know anything about it. Or, and you certainly don't know everything about it. And you judge. You think, I can't believe something must have happened for that to do. Something must be wrong in that heart. Something that, and, but when something like that happens to you, you happen to know all the facts. Therefore, you immediately, well, that's not the same because, well, there's probably something in that situation you don't know about either. And so we need to have more compassion when it comes to other people and things they're going through because there's so much information we don't know. Um, the emotional need for love must be met if we're to have emotional health. Married adults long to feel affection and love from their spouses. We feel secure when we're assured that our mates accept us or want us or are committed to our well-being. But during the in-love stage, we, we felt all of those emotions already. It was dreamy when it lasted, but the obsession was not meant to last forever. Um, in the textbook of marriage, it's, it's the introduction of it, but the heart of the book is more rational love, more volatile love, meaning you're, you're vulnerable. You're, you're, it's, it's a good thing. The good news, um, that's good news to married couples who have lost all their in-love feelings because if love is a choice, then they have the capacity to love after the in-love obsession has died and once they've returned to the real world. That kind of love begins with an attitude or a way of thinking. Love is the attitude that says, I'm married to you, I choose to look out for your interest, and the one who chooses to love will find ways to express that love. You're going to find ways, and it's, if you can find it in their love language, it's, it's going to be wonderful. Maybe the shooting stars aren't there, the deep emotions that you thought would be, but you do have a spirit of anticipation um, Solomon, I referenced Song of Solomon, which again, I mean, he's, he's the love, uh, love language dude in the Bible. <laughs> but he says, place me like a seal over your heart, like a seal on your arm, for love is as strong as death. Its jealousy is unyielding as the grave. It burns like a blazing fire, like a mighty flame. Many waters cannot quench love. Rivers cannot wash it away. If one were to give all the wealth of his own house for love, it would be utterly scorned. It's a great, Solomon's great with his words. He's very descriptive. Um, something else I wanted to talk about. Um, this is just, uh, I'm actually almost done, but um, it's about children. If you don't have children and or children are in uh, your future, your children 
yes, children have love languages. I talked about that a little bit. They did that in another session. They went over the love languages of children. But beyond that, what I wanted to say is your children should not come before your spouse. And that's really hard. I think it's maybe even harder for women. I'm not sure. I'm not a man, so I can't speak. But I think because the women are charged to be the keeper of the home and to be the, do the rearing of the children, obviously with the guidance of the, the man as well. But the women, you know, you think the responsibility of the children typically will fall on her. And so it's easy for us to feel like, well, they are not capable of this. They're depending on me. So I have to put them first because they're dependents. And my husband's not a dependent. He's an adult. So he can't, this has to come first because they're children. And that seems to make logical sense, but it's not biblically correct. Um, your husband and your, your spouse, your wife, should come before the children. Because if your relationship with them is not strong, it will ultimately affect your children. And you have to have that relationship with them. You, you, you want that relationship with them to be as strong as it can be because it's going to affect. So you should be trying to meet their needs, speak their love language, first and foremost, before your children. Your spouse, that, that should come first. There are um, some questions I have written down here. Some of these are addressed in the book as well. And the questions at the end of the series people often have. One is, um, what if I speak my wife's love language, but she doesn't respond? And that's, um, that's tough. That's tough. And uh, all, all marriages at, at any given time go through rough patches. They're not all always going to be a bed of roses. They're not always. And so some are going through really rough patches. And if you are, um, the, this, the, it talks about this. It talks about what if... Uh, and I, I know it can be discouraging when you feel you're investing in your marriage and not getting anything in return. And the book actually suggests there's probably maybe two possibilities of why they're not speaking, um, why they're not responding to you speaking that love language. And it could be that you're speaking the wrong love language. Um, and just an excerpt from the book here, it says, many husbands assume that their wife's love language is acts of service. Again, I think that's because you know, the children and the home kind of fall under her. Therefore, she's constantly busy doing stuff, right? And so we kind of think, well, that must be her love language because she's always getting stuff done. And so they assume a lot of times that's their wife's love language. So they start trying to speak her love language to make things better and tackling chores around the house to check off items to help her. And they're sincerely trying to speak their wife's love language, and she doesn't really even acknowledge his efforts um, he might get discouraged then from doing that. But in reality, her love language maybe is not acts of service. So you're just assuming that because she does so many things, but it's words of affirmation. And so because her husband doesn't feel love coming from her, then he might be verbally critical of her. And so his critical words are really going to hurt her then because not only did he not give her his love her love language, he, like, attacked it where it hurt most because she likes the affirmation, the affirmative words, and he did the opposite. And so maybe the problem's not his sincerity. The problem's he's speaking the wrong love language. And another thing it says, um, 
is assuming, uh, on the other hand, assuming you are speaking your wife's love language, there's another reason she might not be responding. She could be in another relationship. And it talks about that. And it talks about if, if they are, if your marriage has come to that point. And that's very, it's very difficult for marriages to get past that. But it encourages, no matter um, if it is to that point, how to get through. And if you, if you don't have the book and you're going through something like that, I do suggest you get it. It also says, Can Love Be Reborn After Infidelity? And it does talk about that. But the book, it suggests to, regardless of what your situation is, to continue to speak their love language. Continue, even though it might be a very hard situation at home. Maybe um, we have mixed feelings about things. God, God is not ambivalent concerning us. He doesn't have, that's a big word, proud of myself. Um, <laughs> he, he doesn't have mixed feelings, ambivalent, just like mixed feelings about something. He's not that way towards us. He, he knows we can be that way. Um, we're, we're, we're often that way. He's not that way. And keep, keep doing the love language. Keep speaking the love language. Keep on, keep on, keep doing whatever their love language is, even if they don't respond. And um, the book also suggests if, if you're doing this, you feel no response, after, you know, every week, once a week, say, ask them, ask them something. Ask them, do something and say, hey, is this your... You know, is this your love life? Is this, and you can start asking them questions to where it might even start to annoy them. But then, but then after a few weeks, they'll probably ask you. They'll probably do the same thing back. Well, is this your, you know. And it's, it's almost like a game you, you play. I mean, you keep asking. It might get on their nerves, but they're going to start doing it. But ultimately, uh, we talked about this in the opening sessions of the series, was you've got to make an effort to speak their language. Marriage is work, and, I mean, it is work every day, and it is a choice. And so I believe that you have to wake up when you're doing your morning prayer. You need to ask God, God, and I think of, I think of Psalms 1914, let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in thy sight. Oh, Lord, I pray that verse like every morning. Let everything I say, let my thoughts, let my words. But I also pray, let them be acceptable to, to my husband. Let them be pleasing to him. I want to be an uplifter to him. I want to do everything I can to be the best wife I can be. And I think we do need to pray that because it's not always easy. Sometimes I'm in a bad mood. And sometimes he's in a bad mood, and then it's hard for me. It's right. It's, is anybody in here ever in a bad mood? No? Maybe? Sometimes? Yeah? We're normal. We're human, and you have to pray. Um, there's life, and then sometimes life comes at you just, oh, awful. And um, you, But that shouldn't, you know, we're not always in that euphoric state I talked about. We're in reality, and, and reality can be wonderful. It's not miserable. It's great. But it does take work. Anything that is worthwhile takes work. Anything that's great, you've got to work at it. And so even if you feel it's one-sided, you think, especially hard when you're serving God and your spouse isn't serving God, or when you want your marriage to work and they act like they don't. So the best thing you can do is keep doing what you know. I Sister Fair used to say that, and it's so simple and so profound. She'd say, when you don't know what to do, just do what you know to do. 
was like, what? <laughs> it makes so much sense. If you don't know, if you think, I don't know what to do, do the things you do know to do. Pray. Pray for your spouse. Pray for your marriage every day. Pray that God gives you the right words. Pray that you don't push the wrong buttons because sometimes we do that. Pray that God helps you. And, and by all means, in addition to praying, because we can do that, we can let God do his part, we have to do our part. You can't just pray and leave it all up to God. That's not fair. You have to do your part. I think coming to taking a class like this, that's your part. That's great. What can I do? What can I learn? Um, God gives men wisdom, and I believe that he gave this man wisdom. This love language is the book, The Thought. It came out years ago, but it has helped so many marriages. Gary Chapman, he's got a lot of great self-help books or whatnot, and he's a great author. And I think do your part. So you prayed. God's doing his part. You're doing your part. You're learning everything you can. Learn that language. I talked about it, I think, the first week when I was learning Spanish. It did not come natural. That is not my primary language. It's not, I'm not fluent with that. It took a lot of work. And I still, 25 years later, I just, I don't speak it well. But I still have to work at it if I want to speak it because it's not natural for me. And it's just like that with your love language. It's not, it doesn't mean you can learn your spouse's love language and you can feel like you have it down, but it's still not your natural language. So it still takes work every single day. So you have to work at it every day. You can't work at it and think, I'm going through this series and, oh, it's Valentine's Day or, oh, it's her birthday. Oh, I'm going to do something special and then just drop off for three months and then get in a great mood and, oh, we got to work at this again. It can't be like that. You have to, you ha everyone say consistency. Thou art a jewel. It is in everything in life. And with your marriage, you've got to be consistent. you got to put your spouse, you put Jesus number one, because you got to have God in your marriage, and then your spouse, and then your children. And women, we get that backwards a lot. We're wrong. If you're putting your children before your spouse, you're wrong. You've got to put your spouse first. You'll be surprised and amazed, amazed at God's order, his divine order. If you will stay in his order, how much better your family can be by putting your spouse above your children. It's, it's awesome. And the relationship you can have, because listen, your children are going to grow up and they're going to leave you. And your spouse is going to be there. And they're your best friend. Your spouse should be your very best friend. And... Um, you should love your spouse, and you should be loving to your spouse. And it's okay uh, to admit when you're wrong. We're all wrong. And for some people, that's hard. It's really hard to admit that they're wrong. We've got to, um, we've got to learn how to be wrong. It's okay. We need to learn how to be wrong. You need to have a talk with your spouse. Whether or not they're here, you can do it later. But you need to tell them, I'm sorry that I've been wrong. I do that. We all do. We all should do that. I'm, I've been wrong about this. You were right. I've done this wrong. I haven't been in the right. I haven't done it the way God has intended us. And I've sent the reason our marriage is off track. It's it's I take blame. I didn't follow divine order. I didn't. I wasn't praying for us. You ladies, especially um, if your husband is out. I mean, in both ways, really. Honestly, today's society. If you're if they're going to work. You need to be praying God's protection over them every day. 
um, because the temptations that are out there are unbelievable. Husbands, you should be doing the same for your wife, praying over them, the temptations, because um, the enemy is real, and he is seeking to destroy our marriages. He is. If you think that you're just going to be at the state of in love and nothing's ever going to come between, it's wrong. We live in the world. You're in the world. You're not of the world, but you're in it. And you're around it, and there's devices. The devil's devices are all around us to tear apart our marriage. You need to be praying over your marriage and your family every day. And for your children, you need to tell them right now they need to start praying for their spouse. From the time they're little, pray that God will protect and preserve them, keep them um, for them. And um, I'm so thankful. I'm so thankful that my husband was praying for me um, for years. We were always friends, but he, I'm, I'm thankful for that. And... Um, we're going to end this session, but before we do, um, I'd like you all to stand. And um, there's no music or anything, and that's okay. We don't have to have music. But I would just uh, like you to take, I'm just going to put the mic down. I want everybody to just take a few minutes. I said you could stand. You can stand and do it. You can find a place. You can kneel at your seat. You can stand and pray. But I would like you to pray that God will help you. Um, we're ending this marriage series, but I want you to pray that God will help you to have divine order in your marriage. If you've missed any of the sessions, I encourage you to, to get the CD or DVD, because um, not because the, the sessions were amazing, but because there was so much information in each of them that you need, you need for your marriage. And um, I just want you to pray as we close, just that God will help you to have divine order in your home and that you will that God will help you to learn to speak their love language and that God will rekindle that in love feeling you had in a realistic way now that you're out of the clouds, you're married, you're in love. He'll rekindle that fire between you and um, things will be greater than ever before because strong marriages will make strong families and strong families will make strong churches and strong churches will make strong communities. And we're going to win this community for God. Amen? Amen. Let's, let's find a place to pray. Thanks again for listening to the Anchor Church Podcast. If you enjoyed it, make sure you subscribe so you can keep up on our weekly sermons. If you're in the Zanesville area, we invite you to join us on Sundays. You can find all the details on our website at theanchor.church. Again, thanks so much for listening, and we hope to see you soon.